with another episode. It is your host, Brianna here. Last week, we talked about the point of education with Jenny Graham. This week, we will be discussing mixed status families, immigration, and or refugees. And next week, we'll be talking about voting. But that's next week. So we'll get to that when we get to it. Today, I am excited because we have Victoria here and I can give y'all Victoria's story, but Victoria would do it far better than I can. So I'm going to give Victoria the floor. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, yes, I guess I'll just dive right into it. I'm an American citizen and I married an African national. We were married for five years in 2010. It was three days after Christmas. I had a two-month-old baby and a three-year-old. And my husband and I, with our children, were on our way to the store. As we were locking the door to our apartment, we were approached by two men in plain clothes. And they asked my husband his name. And he confirmed, yes, that's my name. And they told him, give the baby to her, referring to me. Hand her the baby, put your hands behind your back. And we were both like, what's going on? What's going on? And they refused to answer our questions initially. Once they handcuffed him, they, they identified themselves as ICE and they were detaining him to be deported back to his country. And that's kind of where the trauma point begins for our story. Prior to that, my husband had migrated to the U.S. as a student while he was here his country was involved in a civil war. It was an ongoing civil war, but at the time it had reached the height that it was in the capital of the country. And so they were given protective status at that time. So he applied for an asylum. The judge found that the asylum claim was frivolous. Our lawyer uh, poorly represented us. She's since been removed from the bar. And as I said, it resulted in my husband being detained three days after Christmas, while holding my two-month-old son and being deported back to his country. After that, we were forced to make the decision how we were going to stay together as a family. And so I sold everything that I owned, literally everything, my car, all of my belongings, packed up what I had left with my two children, and I moved to Africa initially. It was a difficult adjustment for me and for the children, but we did our best to stay uh, and make it work. During that time, my husband was given a scholarship to return back to school to finish his degree, and we ended up in Europe, where he finished his degree, and we've been in Europe pretty much ever since. My children have only come home once their entire lives. My, My third son was born overseas. He had only been to his home country once as well. And in order to keep our family together, it's kind of like living in exile for us, my children and I, who are the American citizens. And that's pretty much the summary of our story. Oh, wow. You, you said a lot that I really want to go back in and go more in depth with. I heard mixed status. I heard raise. I heard deportation. I heard the trauma. There's so many things in your story that I want to go deeper into. But I'll start with mixed status and what that means for the listeners who don't know. Mixed status, from my, I, I researched it and, well, you just, you really just gave us a definition. It's when one parent is undocumented and one is a U.S. born citizen. 
coining the term mixed status. And also, I found out that there are 17.8 million children in the United States alone who are mixed status families. That mm-hmm. is huge. So going into families, I was this topic, the mixed status topic. I don't feel like it's talked about enough, but there are things within the topic that create false narratives. Um, I can remember having a conversation with somebody and I heard the term anchor baby. Mm-hmm. And I remember automatically feeling disgusted. And for those of the listeners who don't know what the term anchor baby means, this is a term thrown at citizen children of undocumented immigrants from those who believe that undocumented mothers or fathers purposely have those children in the United States in order to eventually gain legal status for themselves. Victoria, do you care to debunk this belief and or narrative for those who don't know? Sure. I am not well versed in how it worked in times past, but I can assure you it does not change the course of action for the United States government. As I stated, my husband is the only foreign-born national in our family. And even with three citizens petitioning to have him have a status, a legal status here, and be able to remain in the country, it did not change the course of action for our family or for my husband at all. And it doesn't change the course of action for most families. I've been in a lot of social media groups, support groups for families that are mixed status. And most of those families end up broken and destroyed because of the U.S. immigration system. I've read about and spoken to moms that have moved to uh, South America, to Mexico, to Asia and other parts of the world, you know, trying to keep their families together and they simply couldn't make it work. It was too much of an adjustment and income and so on and so forth. And they just end up, you know, getting a divorce and moving back home with the kids and making sure the kids stay in contact with their parents via Skype or whatever. And so anchor babies, I know it's a term that's used, you know, to justify the treatment that these mixed status families receive, but it's just not true. If you don't mind me asking, Victoria, can you tell us a little about uh, the beginning of you and your husband's relationship? Like, how did y'all get together? You know, I'm a sucker for love story. (laughs) Sure. So we actually met at my home church. A friend, a mutual friend of ours invited him. And at the time, my husband was a very completely different character than he is today. He was a ladies man. He was just, he was out there. (laughs) (laughs) He was out there. But a mutual friend of ours invited him to church. And he literally like fell in love with Jesus the first time and he gave his life to Christ and he joined the church and that's where we met and our friendship developed. We were friends for years before we ever became involved romantically. And, you know, through our friendship, it eventually evolved into a romantic relationship. But yeah, when I first met him, I couldn't stand him. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't those always the best friendships and relationships? <laughs> At first, you just don't like them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. Uh, no, I wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, but getting to know him and then even watching the transformation take place with him as he walked his walk of faith, it literally transformed our friendship and our relationship as well. 
I love that. I love that. That also debunked the belief for me because I feel like so many people feel like my migrants or refugees stay in certain circles or certain areas. And I'm mm. like, no, they're everyday. Like you see them in everyday ordinary places. Absolutely. So that also, thank you for also debunk. That's another common one along with anchor babies that they just live walled off lives and we live walled off lives from them. And it's like, no, they're colleagues, they're classmates, they're, you know. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. But- I think it's also because a lot of times, and this is a lot to do with the media as well, we have a particular image associated with immigration. We link it to the southern border and build the wall and Latin America and migrant workers and so on and so forth. But as you said, I mean, there are immigrants in this country from every place on the globe. Every country has immigrants represented in this country, and some just do not have a legal status, and you just don't know it. Absolutely. I think that another thing on mixed families you had talked about was deportation. I'm sure everybody knows what that is, but for those who don't know, it refers to the process of removing a non-citizen from the United States. And I wanted to ask you, Victoria, from having gone through it, is there anything you can do to avoid being deported? Yes and no. There are several forms that you can file. There are waivers you can file. There are several courses of legal action that you can take to try and stay a deportation order, uh, which we applied for most of those. However, it's up to ICE in most cases, um, not even an immigration judge, but ICE at sometimes, especially if it's after the deportation order has been issued and the person has been detained. A lot of times ICE gets to weigh in on those waivers in addition to the judicial system. And listen, as I said, my son was, you know, two months old. I had another baby practically who was two years old. And, you know, I had other circumstances that I felt contributed to why he should be able to have been granted a waiver. And none of those factors changed the decision. All of our petitions for waivers were denied. And then also I've seen communities, literally there are cases of communities rallying together, blocking the vans, you know, refusing to let ICE have physical access to the person they're trying to detain and deport. So in those cases, I've seen that you know, they were able to defer and detour those deportations as well. We have a good support system, my husband and I, but we don't have a community that large. And at the time, I didn't, I I had not seen cases like that at that time. But over the years, I have seen those cases where I've literally seen communities hide undocumented people in churches or community centers or You know, they have rallies where literally the entire neighborhood and community come together and block the door physically. But as far as legal action, there are several waivers that you can file or petition. And it's still up to the same people who put in the deportation order to decide whether or not they will grant you the waiver. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you guys when all this happened to you? I was 24. Oh, going into 25. I was a baby. Because I, I was just going to say that you were a baby. I was. I was so young and naive. And 
just doing the best that I could to make sure my family didn't become another statistic where I'm a single mom or we're divorced. And, you know, I love my husband. I most definitely did not want to have that dictate the future of our marriage. That's a lot for somebody that's just 24 years old, I must say. Yes, absolutely. I I will go on to say that not only is that a lot, that's too much for 24 to endure while also having the role of being, like you said, a spouse. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a, you know, you already have so many hats to wear then to add that into, that's a lot. Absolutely. I, I have to ask this too, since we're on this topic, are those individuals that have been deported allowed to return after? Yes. So it all depends on your case. In most cases, you are giving a ban. Um, sometimes it can be two to five or 10, 15 years. And then there are times where it's a permanent ban. So it all varies according to your case. I do know that some individuals who have come into the country illegally multiple times, they're given permanent bans. There are some cases, of course, I don't agree with, I don't feel that's a justified punishment, but there are some cases where you're given a permanent ban. But in most cases, you're given like a set amount of years that you cannot come back. Well, it is my humble opinion. That sounds harsh. It's a very harsh system. People always say, you know, do things the legal way, do things the right way. And even in the circumstances when you're filing the paperwork, you're going to court and you're doing everything you can to make sure it's above the table, it's legal, it, the system still doesn't work in your favor in a lot of cases. I can't imagine anybody having to go through that. But another important topic that you touched on was the ICE raid. For the listeners who don't know, a raid is when immigration agents, i.e. or ICE, can invade a place unannounced. Like you said, they were in regular clothes. They can come unannounced and target those immigrants or refugees for arrest or and or deportation. Speaking of this, the raid that comes to my mind that I can remember was, I don't know if you know it, but I can remember because it was all over television and the newspaper. But back in 2018 in Eastern Tennessee, it was a huge ice raid. The next day, 500 children were missing from school. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, it was was a large. And that one resonated with me. The number in itself was alarming, but the fact that these are young, you know, young kids and, and I could just imagine the parents and the, like those, those communities around those children and I was just thinking to myself raids can impact not only those involved but the communities that are, that are involved with those children and I was like those babies are neighbors I mean they have teachers mm-hmm. they have friends they have it's so much more than just them that become affected by it And I have to ask you, I know you mentioned your story at the beginning of the segment, but can you tell us what that experience with that raid, what what is that like? What does that look like and or feel like? It's still very vivid in my mind as if it happened 10 minutes ago. It's something you'll never forget. It's traumatic. It's painful. It is the worst experience you can imagine ever having to go through and I'm still processing it 12 years later. My family, you know, 
I want to be home where I have access to my relatives, my community, and I'm not in a position to do that. But even with that being said, you know, God has been good to my family. We are in a much better place. We're more stable. And, you know, our lives have been, we've led a good life considering our circumstance. But even with that being said, I literally can see the two agents. I can replay this in my mind as if it just happened a few minutes ago. It's literally burned in your brain forever. And the type of trauma that you experience, no matter if you're the parent, the child, like you said, the community members is just there forever. And it changes you as a person. Those children, the parents have to make a decision. Are they going to take them back to the countries that they fled? Or are they going to put them into foster care and give them up legally, relinquish their rights as parents so that they can remain here in the U.S. while they're deported? Unless one parent, unless it's a mixed family, as you said, if one parent, if one parent is a national, it does change the circumstance, but not by much, you know, as you said, you know, the teachers, the neighbors, the friends, the churches, they're left to deal with the fallout of these consequences and these actions taken by the immigration enforcement agency. And it's devastating. I can just imagine right now I'm thinking of, I don't know if you remember, well, you've lived it. So I'm sure you don't need a picture of it, just a tangible picture. But I can remember seeing the pictures on the news about, I'm going to try to keep it together as I replay it. But do you remember it was like a chain link fence and um, it was a small child. The parent, it looked like, appeared to be behind the fence. And it was like a small child. It looked to be like they were two or three and they were holding, they held the hand through the fence. It looks like the parent was the one being detained. And this is just my assumption because they didn't really give us details on the picture. Just said that there was a large raid that held the captives in the fence till they could figure out other arrangements. But the children were natural born citizens. So I guess they went with other community members or relatives that were here. But Somebody took the baby to see the mother and the baby had the hands or the toddler had the hands on the fence and the mother did too. And it was like, for me, it was the grip. I mean, if you're a parent or a mother, you know, it mm-hmm. was the grip she had through the fence on her baby's hands. And that right there just, that messed me up just looking at it. So I can't imagine having to experience it. It's absolutely devastating and just crushing. It is. And that baby may be too small to remember that particular moment, but that moment will have lasting effects in their lives forever. Right. It's unfortunate. It's sad. It's harsh. It's tragic. Something I had, it made me want to further research and I come to find out that it made me want to learn about visas and green cards and what you can and can't do. And, and I found out that a visa is something that you can attain before travel and a green card is something that you have after your arrival. And a visa is just temporary and a green card means permanent residency status. However, I'm sure that those options defer, the definition and the reasoning defer for everybody. So I wanted to ask you, What are those people, what are the options? Do you know the options that people have in trying to require residency? And what, in your opinion, do they think they should go for if they want to become permanent working citizens? Oh, wow. Uh, That's a heavy question. Well, let me start by saying I'm not a lawyer. 
<laughs> and so <laughs> I'm not gonna be well versed in the law, but I can speak from my experience and some experiences of others that we know. When you apply for a visa to the U.S., there are I want to say immigrant and non-immigrant visas. So non-immigrant visas are going to be the ones that are for vacations. You know, if you're professional and you're coming for a conference or a lecture, you know, those types of short stays. And then there are other visas, such as if you're coming to study, if you are coming to work for an indefinite amount of time. And then also if your family member is sponsoring you to move to the U.S., Those are the immigrant visas, um, meaning, you know, you'll be here for an extended amount of time. And then the green card is your permanent residency, uh, meaning you are not a U.S. citizen, but you are able to live here indefinitely as long as you would like. And you just renew that over and over um, every few years or so often. There are lots of visas to apply for. I don't know that people understand the cost of immigration. On average, most of those forms attach a fee from anywhere from three to $500. And some of the fees are even greater than that. And that's per form. You know, you have the I whatever, most of them start with I. And I mean, there's just hundreds and hundreds of different visa applications that you can choose from based on your circumstances. Those forms are very expensive. They are tedious and almost impossible to fill out as an everyday person, which means you're going to need a lawyer. Then once you retain a lawyer, then you're looking at a retainer fee plus their hourly rate. And so with any type of immigration, whether you are a student, a worker, a family member, generally you're looking at thousands of dollars for that process. As we know, with most of the immigrants that are coming, most are not at the top of the socioeconomic ladder. And so just the fees in themselves are a challenge. Then there are times that they require you to take medical tests. You have to do a physical. You have to prove that you are in good health. You have to do background checks. You have to prove that you have X amount of dollars in your account because they're concerned about you uh, trying to use state-funded or means-tested benefits. There is so much bureaucracy and red tape involved in the process. Most people think you just fill out a form, turn it in, get a stamp in your passport, and you can come over. I wish it were that simple. And then there are quotas. I'm not sure if that system is still in place, but at one time, they had a specific number of people that could migrate from each country to the U.S. And so, you know, if they had reached a quota, no matter what your circumstance may be, sorry to you. There's just so many layers to it that people don't understand. And, you know, and like I said, even when you are doing all the right steps, there's still so many places where things can go wrong. And then ultimately, there's the decision is up to the same people who are enforcing these harsh rules to say, yes, you can stay or we'll prove this form or no. And so, you know, it's, it's a challenging and tough system that does not favor the immigrant themselves. I'll put it that way. And I'm glad earlier you had said that so many people think that it's just Mexico and South America when it's really international countries. And I feel like that's another common myth. Although they should be a topic because I'm sure they endure the same 
but a common misconception is that, you know, it's just those areas, those communities. So I have to ask you, do you or disagree with the statement I come across that said, uh, the United States should have the most liberal immigration policy in the world? After all, almost every citizen can trace his or her heritage to immigrants. Absolutely. That one right there, I, I, I mean, there's so much truth in that statement, but what do you think about that? So when we speak about patriotism, you know, it always starts with nationalism, America first. But then when we speak about heritage, you know, people are proud of their heritage. I am Italian. I am Irish. I'm Polish. I am Chinese. I'm this, I'm that, hyphen American. But like you said, then when it comes to dealing with people who are also wanting to migrate and have a piece of the American pie and the American dream, then it becomes, no, America first. You know, that's when those identities disappear and it's back to nationalism and America first. So Mm -hmm. it's most definitely a complicated issue and we should have more liberal policies. I don't think anyone is ever advocating for open borders. And I know that a lot of people try to hijack the conversation and say, well, if you want us to be more liberal with our policies, you basically just want open borders where anybody can come in and do whatever they want and we're not going to do anything about it. That is such an extreme case that no one is advocating for. But like you said, there are millions of families that have mixed statuses. And more often than not, most a lot of families look similar to mine. Or a lot of families have citizen children and their parents are undocumented. And why is it that we as U.S. citizens don't have the right to keep our families together and remain here? Why does our patriotism and our nationalism, why doesn't that matter in this case for us? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And even in the case where it's not a mixed family, if everyone is undocumented, most of the people who are here, whether they're undocumented or not, they're working, they're contributing taxes, they're contributing to our social security system, their children are, they're part of our communities. You know, we also, certain people like to put forth this image that if you're undocumented, then you are a shady character and you're involved in a life of crime and you know, so on and so forth. And that also couldn't be further from the truth. As you said earlier, these are our church members. These mm-hmm. are fellow parents at our elementary schools and on, on our jobs, you know, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I hate that we're able to demonize and stereotype an entire group of people just based on whether or not they have a documented status in this country. It doesn't change their character. It doesn't change who they are. It's literally just a legal piece of paper to say, I'm here. That's it. I I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I've always been the one to say, if this country was founded from immigrants, then why is the current policies looking the way that they look? It was just always a question in my mind, and I'm sure a lot of others. But since we're on the topic of politics, I have to ask you, How have the different political parties handled it during your experience with it? And have you noticed any big shift in the recent years regarding the handling of the immigration policy? 
My husband and I were going through his process under Bush and Obama, and we were deported under the Obama administration. And then, of course, Trump came in and now we're back with Biden. One of the things that I've learned going living through this experience, this is not just me studying politics, but living the experience. Party does not matter. There, there are times when conservative policies are most definitely going to be more harsh in most cases, but it doesn't get much better when we move into liberal party either. It's, it's, it's just bad on both sides. A lot of times people on the right are more vocal about the stringent policies they want to put in place. People on the left are more vocal about how they would like to relax those policies. But when it comes down, down to action, in most cases, it's the stringent policies that are put in place instead of the relaxing of those policies. It's just more harsh policies that are put in place. It's hard to get an immigration win. And it's not to excuse it or, but yeah, it's, it's, they always talk about it when they're running, you know, on their platform, you know, we're going to change immigration and we're going to work towards legalization and we're going to work towards this and that. And then when they're in office, there isn't much done. But I can say with the previous administration, a lot of the policies that, they said that they were going to do, they absolutely did it, (laughs) just short of building the wall. So most definitely, there is very little action when it comes to helping families in policy. There's more action in hurting families with policy. Oh, wow. I did not know that. There was a lot of things in this conversation that I did not know. I didn't know that it costs to apply visas and green cards and then I didn't know how much those costs were like I literally thought that you they were just like it's a form I mean I'm sure it's a cost but when you get into the deep end hundreds I'm like whoa 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 that that's crazy to me I didn't know that there were costs acquired with it I didn't know but there's so much that I'm glad that you told us listeners because we go into it knowing that it's an unfortunate situation, but we don't know the deaths. You know what I mean? Absolutely. By the time my husband was deported, I received a bill from our last lawyer. It was over $26,000. That's craziness to me. That is craziness to me. I'm sorry. That that is craziness to me. Because, I mean, if you look at America, the United States alone, how it was founded, how it was cultivated, what it looks like. I'm like, and then we get into the immigration policies and I'm like, are you saying like that there's, there's no correlation? That to me is so absurd. I- Absolutely. One of the things that I wanted to mention when we discussed me coming on the podcast is, you know, just to show how these policies affect everyone. When President Obama became president, his own aunt, we're talking now the president of the United States, his aunt had, she was an undocumented person and he couldn't help her. Her local representative was able to go to Congress and have a bill written specifically for her because that is an option, especially for people who are in um, 
those categories where they may be permanently banned, their only reprieve may be to have a law that is specifically written for one person who was named in the bill that says they can live in the United States. And then it has to be approved by Congress. And that's what had to happen for his aunt. And we're talking about the leader of the first world. His aunt was undocumented and had to have a bill created for her to remain in the U.S. So if we're talking about the most powerful person in the world whose family member is undocumented and has almost no options, legal options for relief other than to have a bill created and signed by Congress, then how much more for your average mixed family that has very limited means, very little political power, and small communities that are supporting them? I think we all know the answer to that. I'm over here shaking my head. Absolutely. And it just goes to show these policies that are in place, these forms that we're filling out. And I don't know what her case was prior to that, but I do remember reading about how, you know, it came out in the news that she was his aunt's blood relative and she's undocumented. And, you know, she had little choice for reprieve, meaning it seems as though she had exasperated all of her legal avenues. And so this was her final option. Either Congress would have to create a law personalized to her or she would end up being deported as well back to Kenya. And people just, and that goes back to people believe that these are just walled off individuals and we, sh- and, or we're just walled off from them. And I'm like, no, not at no. all. They're regular individuals. And this, this, I've always said, and I'm glad this is on my sheet and the topics to discuss because this, if not top five, top three most important issues that need to be talked about. It's not talked about enough, if you ask me. And I feel like because, and that's just with anything else, because people feel like it doesn't apply to them personally or anything else like that, then they shouldn't, you know, that's a, that's a, that's their problem or that's a, you know, that's something for them to figure. And I'm like, no, that should be, this should be everybody's problem, if you ask me, because you never know ask yourself what what would you do how would you handle it if it were you and if you don't like those answers and you don't know those answers then that's a problem in itself absolutely and this experience i have to admit has i've always had a heart for social justice and activism and so on and so forth but living through this experience has most definitely opened my eyes to other issues like you said that normally if it doesn't affect me then i'm not interested i by living through this experience, it has caused me to wake up and see, no, all of these things affect me. They affect my community. They affect my family, my children, and other children within my community. And so it does cause you to wake up and see you have to be proactive and active in all of these issues, whether it's to do with disabilities, whether it's to do with immigration, whether it's to do with voting, as you said, that you're going to be talking about next week. All of these issues play a vital role in our lives and the quality of life that we live. And so we have to be active. We have to be paying attention. We have to be aware of what's going on and doing our part, most definitely. Don't wait until it affects you personally. A hundred percent. And I'm so glad that you said that. To close us out, I want to say one of the most recent rallies for the anti-deportation movement was We Are Here to Stay. And I want to say, may we envision a future where immigrants or mixed status families not only stay, 
people become fully embraced as members in the society. At least that's always been my vision. I love that. Thank you so much, Victoria, for being our guest speaker today. I've learned so much more in this conversation alone, and I'm so grateful and I'm so appreciative of it. And I'm sure our listeners have too. Like, I cannot thank you enough. This information is so important. Thank you so much for having me. I've never shared my story on any platform. I barely even share it with people that I know personally, but I feel like discussing it most definitely empowers. And so I'm so thankful that you invited me on to the podcast today. Thank you for letting me share my story. I hope, as you said, you know, families that are going through this, I hope that they have hope. I hope that they have support. I hope that it gets better for them and that they don't have to go through these traumas. It's not necessary. It's not right. And, you know, we're going to have to continue to fight the good fight so that, as you said, these families are here to stay and they're together. Absolutely. Thank you.